This is episode number 141 with Dr. Libby Weaver. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Ready, beautiful? Dr. Libby Weaver is one of Australasia's leading nutritional biochemists, an author, a speaker, and founder of the plant-based supplement range BioBlends. Armed with an abundance of knowledge, scientific research, and a true desire to help people regain their energy and vitality. Dr. Libby empowers and inspires people to take charge of their health and happiness through her books, live events, and nutritional support range. Having sold over 350,000 books across New Zealand and Australia, she is an 11 times best-selling author and published internationally, including in the UK, US, Canada, France, Germany, Russia, and Italy. How amazing is that? She is also a respected global speaker and her expertise in nutritional biochemistry has led her to share the stage with Marianne Williamson, Sir Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, and Dr. Oz. I mean, seriously. Now, Libby and I have been friends for so many years now. I can't even remember when we first met. And she is such a beautiful person inside and out. I have read her books. I have seen her speak. I have had her into my home. She is just such a beautiful person. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her today. And in today's episode, we chat about how she got to where she is today, her three pillars to health and happiness, why your hormones are out of balance and how to fix it, the most common stresses that are affecting our health and happiness, why we get acne and how to clear it, how to boost your energy and mitochondria, how to let go of comparison, why the inner work is just as important as the outer work, plus so much more. You guys are going to love her and you're going to love this episode so much. And for everything that Dr. Libby and I mention in today's podcast, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 141. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. I love going into iTunes and picking the review of the week every week. My heart just bursts with love and gratitude for everyone who leaves a review. And this week's comes from Tez N. And she says, I have recently discovered Melissa's podcast and I have fallen in love. All the episodes and speakers are inspirational and the messages are really resonating with the personal journey I'm on. There are so many aha moments and listening to the podcast is like coming home or receiving a huge inspirational hug. I'm constantly sharing these podcast episodes with my friends and even passing some along to my husband. Thank you so much, Tez, for that beautiful review. 
and keep passing them along to your husband. I'm sure he's getting loads out of them as well. Thank you so much for that beautiful five-star review, Tez. I am so grateful. And don't forget to leave a review for your chance to be the review of the week for next week. I'm so excited now for you guys to hear this epic episode with the one and only Dr. Libby Weaver. Beautiful Dr. Libby, it is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? My usual morning begins with organic daily greens and radiant reds, which is a green veggie powder. So I begin with that. And then this morning it was eggs and spinach. So it changes every day though, but that was today. Mm, Yummy. Yum, yum, yum. Now, I was telling you before we got started that you have been one of the most requested people to come on my show, and we've finally made it happen, and I'm so excited to finally have you here. And we were reflecting like when we first met, and we discovered that it was in 2013, and we instantly hit it off, and I've seen you speak many times, and every time I am in Oh, honey, honestly, when you speak, it's like you scoop everyone in the audience up in your love bubble and we go on this journey together. Like you are an incredible speaker. And I've also read many of your books and I've cooked many of your delicious recipes over the years. And I'm so excited to have, I think it's your 12th book now, The Beauty Guide, in my hands and it's out right now. Now, lady, You are a super woman. But first, can you please tell us about your story and how you got to being this superwoman goddess you are today? (laughs) Well, firstly, that's ridiculously kind, Melissa. Thank you so much. But I didn't plan any of it. As a child, I knew that all I knew is that I wanted to write a book. I had no idea what it would be about. And I'd always loved writing. I grew up with chickens in the backyard and we grew some of our own vegetables and My mum gave me a journal, a diary when I was four years old and the first journal entries that I would write was how many eggs I collected that day. And But that set me up to to write each day from a really young age, which is something that I'll always be grateful for that that mum created that for me. So I've always loved writing. And then growing up, I originally, once I finished school, I originally studied journalism and then psychology. But I realised very soon into those degrees that all I really wanted to write about was nutrition and human behaviour. So I ended up studying nutrition and then doing a PhD in biochemistry. So I really love science. I love learning, but I've worked with people for 20 years. And for me, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you get to really see what makes a difference for people and what doesn't. So I've really blended my education with my my clinical practice to create my three pillars. And I look at everything through three lenses and they are the biochemical, the nutritional, and the emotional. And it's it's the last one that probably juices my heart the most which is where I get people to really consider why do you do what you do, even though you know what you know, which kind of makes your eyes roll around in the back of your head, doesn't it, when you think about it. But I I love what I do. Oh, you can absolutely tell. And like I said, I've seen you speak many times and you just are such a captivating speaker. So can we talk about those three pillars? With pleasure. (laughs) So the biochemical aspect of my work is where I look at the inner workings of everything. So 
I'll look at, for example, why someone might be producing excessive or constant amounts of stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. I'll look at what's happening with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, prolactin, so some of the sex hormones. And if they are out of balance, why are they out of balance? I call myself the why girl. So I dig into why something isn't working properly. Another example might be thyroid conditions becoming more and more common. So from a biochemical perspective, if someone has evidence that their body has symptoms of their thyroid not working properly, I'm going to try and work out why. So someone's thyroid perhaps won't work effectively if they are iodine deficient, so they're not getting enough iodine in their diet each day. Or for other people, their thyroid doesn't work effectively when there has been long-term what I call estrogen dominance, so too much estrogen in the second half of their menstrual cycle compared to progesterone. So the, the reason that I, that I focus so much on the why is the road that creates a health challenge or the road that's created altered biochemistry needs to be understood because that's the road we then have to take out of it. So for example, if someone's thyroid isn't working properly because of an iodine deficiency, if that person then gets the right amount of iodine for them, their thyroid function is likely to improve. Whereas if their thyroid isn't working properly because of long-term estrogen dominance, then no amount of iodine is going to fix that, correcting the estrogen dominance will. So that's what I mean by a biochemical approach. It's where we go in and work out what's changed and why. And then the second pillar is the nutritional one, which is where I look at the foods and drinks and nutrients that are needed to support the inner functioning of all of these body systems. And then I'm probably some people's least favorite person on the planet when I teach them the foods and particularly the drinks that can take away from the optimum functioning of some of these body systems. And then the emotional pillar, as I said, is where I get people to explore why they do what they do, even though they have the knowledge that they have, because so often it's not a lack of education that leads someone to smash a whole tub of ice cream after dinner. It's not no one does that thinking that they're going to feel fabulous after they do that. We often don't understand why, and it might not be related to food, we don't understand why we keep staying up late when we know we need to go to bed a little bit earlier or we know we need to move our body regularly or we know it would be so beneficial if we did some Pilates or yoga or meditation and yet we don't always act on the things that we know in our hearts would be good for us. And a big part of what I hope to do with that third pillar in my work is to remove any blocks that people have to being able to look after themselves and most of that comes back to their perception of their worth and how loved they are. So it's it's pretty delicious, that third pillar. Mm, I love that your approach is very holistic. You're not just about the biochemical or what you put in your mouth. You have this very holistic approach and you address all of these pillars, which is you know why one of the reasons why I love you so much and your work. But let's talk about hormones because It's something that I hear a lot of women struggle with. You know, one of my closest friends is going on two years not having a period, and it's something that is just so common. So why are our hormones so out of balance, and how can we begin to rebalance them right now? (laughs) Aren't they just the most common questions we hear these days? I actually surveyed my email list recently, and that's what people wanted to know about as well was was hormones. And I'm actually just kicking off a tour of Australia and New Zealand at the moment called the Hormone Factor to address all of that. So it's common, but it's not normal where our periods should just show up each month and not cause us grief. And as you mentioned, for a lot of women now, they're either irregular or they're missing or they can be really problematic and really heavy and clotty and painful 
and cause all sorts of mood swings in the lead up to them, you know, immense irritability or intense sadness, sometimes in the same hour. And we can forget why. And yeah, so it's very common. So what, why is this happening? A couple of, a couple of points to make. So in the first half of the cycle, estrogen is designed to be dominant and estrogen, the dominant sex hormone, and estrogen wants a menstruating female to get pregnant every single month of her life, whether that's on her agenda or not. And it's almost an irony, isn't it, that women spend the majority of their life trying not to get pregnant, and then they decide they want to be pregnant. And very sadly and frustratingly for a lot of women now, that's even proving a challenge. But estrogen wants us to be pregnant every month of our life, (laughs) even though that might not be part of our plan. So she lays the lining of the uterus down in preparation for a conception. Then the other main sex hormone at that time is progesterone, but in the first half of the cycle, we only make it from our adrenal glands, which sit just on top of our kidneys, and they are also where we make our stress hormones from, adrenaline and cortisol. So progesterone is a beautiful hormone. It plays a lot of roles biologically, though, not just in reproduction. So it's a very powerful anti-anxiety agent. It's an antidepressant, and it's a diuretic, so it allows us to get rid of excess fluid. And in the first half of the cycle, as I said, we just make a small amount from the adrenal glands. But because the adrenals are also where we make our stress hormones from, adrenaline and cortisol, historically, adrenaline has always communicated to the body that our life is in danger and cortisol communicates to the body that there's no food left in the world. That's what those hormones have always meant to us. And in modern times, even though those messages aren't necessarily accurate, the body still interprets them that way. So these days we tend to make adrenaline everyone block your ears right now because we make adrenaline when we consume caffeine and because of our perception of pressure and urgency. And I chose the word perception there on purpose. So we're relatively safe. But when we make adrenaline because of our lifestyle these days, it still says to the body that our life's in danger. And because for a woman, her body links progesterone to fertility, the last thing your body wants for you is to bring a baby into a world where it thinks you're not safe and there's no food, which is what those stress hormones are communicating. So the body thinks it's doing you a big favor by shutting down that adrenal production of progesterone. And the consequences of that are significant, not just for fertility, but also biologically. Because if you think through what we've just mentioned, you lose a hormone that stops you feeling anxious, that stops you going to a low mood, and now you retain fluid. And when you have a lot of anxious feelings and you feel really flat in your headspace and you feel puffy and swollen, that impacts every choice you make because when you feel so uncomfortable in your own skin, particularly if you can look out upon your life and see that there's so much to be grateful for but you can't connect to those feelings and you add guilt to that mixture as well quite often. But when we feel like that, so puffy and swollen and uncomfortable in our own skin, it impacts the food that we're going to choose for the rest of the day, whether we get off the couch and go for a walk or not, jobs that we would apply for, the friends that we make, our self-talk and the way we speak to everyone we love in the world. So the ripple effect of poor progesterone production, I think, is one of the biggest health challenges facing women in the Western world today. And you can see, though, that from what I've described, that stress hormones are playing an enormous role in the body's ability to make a decent amount of progesterone there. And then once we ovulate, that's where we make a lovely big surge of progesterone from the crater that the egg comes out of. That's called the corpus luteum. And we make a big surge of progesterone from there. And again, these days, some women, if they have an anovular cycle, like your friend you mentioned, Melissa, who's not getting her period, she won't be ovulating. So she doesn't get that big surge of progesterone. Or for other women, they'll just make a small amount of progesterone from the corpus luteum. And it's not enough to go above the level of estrogen still being made 
And usually when there's too much estrogen leading into the period, that can be the hormonal basis for PMT, which is why I refer to it as estrogen dominance. So that's a really, really common pattern these days and, and stress hormones have got a huge amount to do with that. So to help people begin to address a sex hormone balance, occasionally the ovaries need to be supported, but quite often it's the regulatory systems in the body that are going to make the difference to our experience of our own sex hormones and the symptoms that they present with. In this case, the adrenals are going to play a role because if you start to make fewer stress hormones, then your innate progesterone production is going to improve. And then when it comes to estrogen, if there's too much of it, it's actually the liver that makes the decision whether we eliminate old estrogen or recycle it. And when we recycle it, because we're making too many poor quality lifestyle choices and being exposed to too many pollutants, when we start to recycle estrogen, that too can lead to estrogen dominance. So quite often it's the regulatory systems in the body that that need the support and the love. So that's a big biochemical explanation for and, and really just the tip of the iceberg as to why so many people these days are experiencing challenges with their sex hormones. Mm, so what can we do to start to bring that regulatory system back into balance? So when it comes to the adrenals, it's actually we need to firstly work out why we're producing so many stress hormones and then start to make some changes to that. So initially, I would always say to someone, tell me what stresses you out. So please know for the next five minutes or three minutes, I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about everyday stresses, that things that people will say to me stress them out each day. So that might be an email inbox that's overwhelming, a to-do list that's ever all crossed off or running late. So just everyday things. So if someone says, I'm so stressed all the time, I'll say, tell me why. And they might say, I just run late all the time and it really bothers me. I feel like I'm disrespecting people, but I just can't seem to get organized and get somewhere on time. So what I will usually get people to do is to consider whether they're using the word stress as a replacement for fear. Because it's almost, I think, as if stress has become the achiever's word for fear. It just would be totally weird if we walked around going, I'm really terrified of running late or I'm really scared of my emails or whatever it is. That's, we don't tend to use those language patterns. So people say, I'm really stressed out. But if, if our stress, these everyday stresses, if they show us, if they offer us insight into what we're actually frightened of, when you pull the curtain back on the everyday things that stress you out, what you'll see is that what stresses most people out is what other people think of them. So if we can pause in those moments where we get overwhelmed and we feel that there aren't enough hours in the day or whatever it is, and just pause in that moment and, and speak to ourselves with the tenderness that, that you would speak to a child with and think, okay, if you're showing me right now something that I'm frightened of, what might that be? And if you can see that you're worrying that because you're going to run late, you're worried that that person's going to think that you're not respecting their time or that you're not thoughtful or kind or you, you can address it in a different way. I feel that as we grow up, we create an identity for ourselves and I often describe it, it's as if we've got a word plastered across our forehead and it's a word that is so important to us that we have so highly linked to our identity that it, it's so important to us that we're seen in that way. In other words, we want to present ourselves to the world as, name your adjective, kind, thoughtful, strong, independent, intelligent, humorous, 
the life of the party, whatever whatever the word or words are, it's it's a way that we want to be represented in the world. We it's we'll, we'll do anything virtually to stay true to that identity. So usually, what stresses us out is the concern that we're going to be seen in a way that is opposite to the way that's important to us. And once we can identify that, you can then have far more deep and meaningful conversations with people as a result of these situations. So let's say it is running late that stresses you out and you can say, wow, I really care about what that person thinks of me and it's so important to me that they know that I love them or that I value them or that I respect them. And so instead of running into a meeting going, I'm so sorry, I'm so stressed, I'm so late, sorry, sorry, you can speak to them afterwards and say, you know, it really matters to me that you know that I care about this job or that I work hard and that I'm so grateful to have this employment or whatever it is. And you just end up having a far more meaningful conversation rather than just sitting in the stressed out state. So that's the first step, I think, is identifying the truth behind some of our stresses. Now, I'm not denying for a second that there aren't situations that are not, of course, there are situations in all of our lives that are full of stress and pressure and urgency, of course. I'm not denying that. But I feel like what what a lot of us have done too often is we, we get into this overwhelmed state where we're not clear on what it's really about. So hopefully that that is a good first step. And then once mm. once you do that, once you can see that what's really stressing us out, the thing that actually lowers our stress hormones faster than anything is a long, slow exhalation. So when we breathe diaphragmatically, so a yoga breath, when you inhale and your belly sticks forward and then a lovely long, slow exhalation as your belly shrinks back towards your spine. When we breathe in that way, we communicate via a part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system that we're safe. And that lowers stress hormones faster than anything. And I think it's why a lot of breath-focused practices, Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, meditation, have had to become part of mainstream life these days because I feel like the universe will always give us the balance to almost the way that we're living if, if we want it, if we want to take it. So the yogis have known forever how great yoga is and, and now it's, which is wonderful, it's become mainstream. So when we breathe diaphragmatically though, we lower stress hormones very effectively. So I think that a breath-focused practice, whether that's some sort of organized practice or even if it's just rituals across your day, if you sit at a desk at a computer working, you can look at the time and each hour on the hour do 20 long slow breaths or it might be a practice but 20 long slow breaths when you wake up or before you go to bed or when you're sitting at red traffic lights. But just becoming breath aware and slowing your breathing down and making it diaphragmatic is also another very powerful way that can make a difference to the production of stress hormones and therefore foster much better innate sex hormone production, particularly that progesterone. And I know that sounds too simple to make a difference, but it can. when we get into the rhythm of that, it can make a really big difference. Mm, I love that. I am really mindful of my breath. I notice sometimes throughout the day I'll catch myself and I'm like, whoa, Melissa, you're not even breathing. You know, like, <laughs> girlfriend, breathe down into your belly. So what I do, like you said, is I have these little rituals throughout the day. So when I am slipping in the morning from unconscious to conscious and I'm kind of in that little in-between land, I make sure I do really deep, 10 really deep, beautiful, juicy breaths before I get out of bed in the morning. And then in my yoga practice, obviously, that's a place where I do lots of deep diaphragmatic breathing. And then again, you know, sitting at traffic lights or whilst I'm cooking in the kitchen, whilst I'm brushing my teeth. And I used to set little reminders in my phone, little alarms to go off just that said, breathe deeply. And now I just remember throughout the day, 
And when I'm sitting at my desk, I have a little post-it note that says, breathe deeply. And whilst I'm meditating, you know, there's so many little pockets throughout the day where we can inject this deep breath. But there's been a common theme with a lot of the people that I've had on this show. And they all say that breath is very, very important. It's life force energy. And I think it's very underrated and something that I really want to encourage every person listening to implement into their everyday life. I wholeheartedly agree. It's it's game changing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, like you said, if they just start breathing deeply, this will have a ripple effect on all of Mm -hmm. the stresses and the hormones in their life. So everyone listening, give that a go. Try the deep breathing every day, first thing in the morning, you know, before you sit down and start your work. We do three deep breaths before we eat our food. We always place our hands on our belly and we do three deep breaths with my little stepson just so that we can get into our body before we start eating because you know, there's so much unconscious eating going on. And I used to very much unconsciously eat on the go, in the car, standing up. And now we make a really beautiful ritual of it where we sit and we take three deep, juicy, long breaths together and we bless our food and then we eat. And it's such a nice thing to do with your family. You know, you can do it with your kids before they go to bed, before you give them their goodnight kiss. You can do some deep breathing with them. Just try and inject it throughout your day. That's so beautiful. I agree. So let's talk about skin now because this is, again, something that I hear a lot of women complain about and struggle with. I personally have had acne. I have had eczema and hives and cold sores all over my face in the past. And to be honest, it was not fun and it really squashed my confidence and my self-worth. And I know for a lot of women who have or have had skin issues, struggle with the same thing, struggle with the confidence. So why are we getting acne in the first place and what can we do about it? Acne has a lot of different prongs to it and it is very different to the formation of pimples. So with acne, quite often what sets it off is a change in the amount of sex hormones in the blood. So which is one of the reasons why it will off the onset of it is quite often during puberty for both boys and girls, but obviously it can continue into adulthood. So when there's a surge of sex hormones, that increases sebum production in the skin. So with that increase in sebum production, the bacteria that naturally live all over us on on the surface of our skin, they've suddenly got a lot more to feed on. And so when they've got more food, they multiply and replicate a lot more rapidly. So then bacterial numbers start to increase And as you start to notice little pustules start to form, for a lot of people, they think in their mind, I need to clean my skin, I need to scrub my skin. But the problem with that is that you then disrupt what's called the acid mantle that is actually the protective layer on the outside of our whole body. And it's called the acid mantle for a reason that the acid part of it, it, the, the pH of it, which is pH is a measure of acidity versus alkalinity, the pH of the outside of the body actually needs to be in the acidic end of the range so that these bacteria can't penetrate. It's, a, it's part of our immune system. It's, one of, it's part of how we protect ourselves from these bugs getting inside of us. But often when the pustules first begin, we get the feeling that we need to clean our skin, we need to scrub our skin. And so when you do that with harsh substances, you break that acid mantle and then you give them their road into the, into the follicles. 
So they then can infect the follicles and a vicious cycle of acne can start. So a big part of, and we touched on this just momentarily when we were talking about estrogen earlier, it's actually the responsibility of the liver to take sex hormones once they've done their job in the body for a period of time. It's the liver's job to take those sex hormones and alter them, so change their structure ever so slightly, and we then end up incorporating those sex hormones predominantly into our fecal matter and then we eliminate them from our body. But if the liver is overwhelmed because we're choosing far too many highly processed and refined foods, we drink too much alcohol, we're exposed to too many pollutants, so whatever it is that the liver is actually having to deal with, it quite often won't have the space or the resources available to it to change these sex hormones efficiently enough and quickly enough to clear them from our body. So they end up staying in the blood, which is what then gives the bacteria more to feed on. So to begin to break the vicious cycle, there needs to be a big focus on digestion and the quality of what the person is eating. There's quite often needs to be a big focus on supporting the liver. It's two detoxification pathways, phase one and phase two, they're called, which involves eating plenty of vegetables, particularly those brassica family of vegetables, the broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, so that the clearance from the body is effective. And quite often additional zinc is needed. Zinc is needed for wound healing. It's also needed in the biochemical pathways that convert sex hormones further along their road. So to focus on digestion, liver, and quite often zinc, additional zinc is needed because a lot of people are zinc deficient these days. It's really only found in oysters, red meat. There's a little bit in eggs and a little bit in seeds, sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds, for example. Women, adult women need about eight milligrams of zinc a day, which doesn't sound like much, but it's not highly concentrated in foods really other than oysters. And I don't know about you, but I certainly don't eat oysters every day. So my point is a lot of people aren't getting enough zinc. So that's the big focus to begin to break that vicious cycle of acne from the inside out, which is obviously something I touched on in my new book, The Beauty Guide. Yeah, I love that you are very much from the inside out and beauty comes from within. So you always address what's going on inside before we look at the outside. And I love that about you. And so many people listening, and I know when I first had acne in my teens, I did exactly what you said. I would go and get all of these highly toxic chemicals and I would scrub my face trying to fix it. And little did I know I was only making it worse. So we really do have to address the inside and your book does a beautiful job of that. Thank you, because I really want people to understand that so often we, we see it on the outside, so we think we've got to treat it from the outside, but it's all being created from the inside. And if we just know the levers to pull as far as changing what's happening inside, then the skin doesn't have to become a pathway of elimination for for substances that you want really to be going out via your urinary system and via your bowels. Because when there are when there's the accumulation of problematic substances in our body, it's a big challenge for our health if they stay inside. So that's when the skin will step in and say, well, I'm a road out of the body as well. You can use me. But we then don't usually like that. It it has a can have a very big impact on someone's self-confidence and self-worth as you were talking about, Melissa. And I don't want that to happen. So if we can help more and more people, women of all, and boys of all ages to understand what's needed to, for the skin to not have to be another pathway of elimination. I think that would be game-changing. I've actually, I'm a big fan of plant medicine. I love medicinal herbs and I create all sorts of products 
to to assist with that as well. So when someone has, for example, skin problems that are related very much to their menstrual cycle, licorice, peonia, there's some beautiful herbs that work synergistically to help alter the sex hormone balance. I've put that into a product that I call Cycle Essentials. And then I've got a brand new product coming out this week called Skin Nutrition, which is rich in in foods that are full of antioxidants. So everything I make is is made from food or from herbs, from plants, because when herbs can change our biochemistry quite effectively, and they've been used obviously for thousands of years to do so. So it's um it's another one of the strategies I use to help people get the outcomes they're seeking. Mm, awesome. And another thing I hear a lot of people complain about and struggle with is energy. Now, this isn't the case for me. You know, I am that type of person that jumps out of bed in the morning. So what can we do to boost our energy? I think one of the reasons you jump out of bed is because you live life according to your values. You live life sharing your great gifts with the world. And I do. I feel like that is a huge part of energy that is not talked about enough. So I'll get to I'll get to the nutrition and all the biochemistry in a second. But I just yeah, you know, in your in your nature, in your way, I I think that that is I, we can't deny when when we're living in a way that is congruent to who we are yeah, and to our values. I think that gives us great energy. Whereas when a lot of people, until you look at this, you may not be aware that a lot of people try to live based on other people's values and. In itself is, is exhausting because it's you don't realize it, but it's not authentically who you are. So I think that's a really important first point. As far as the insides go, though, there are little energy producing units inside the majority of the cells that make up our body, and they're called mitochondria. And the way I get people to visualize it is that every circle, every little cell that makes you up, there's a mouse on an exercise bike. And because of the era that I grew up in, for some reason, when I visualize this, the mouse is wearing a fluorescent leotard, which is highly un- highly unflattering. <laughs> and so he pedals really, really quickly inside our cells to generate energy. So that's the mitochondria is the little mouse. And from the age of 30 onwards, if we don't do something to maintain our muscle mass, we start to lose muscle mass. And the way to visualize that is we still have the mouse inside the cell, but it's as if he gets too skinny and his little leotard starts to hang off him. He loses his pedal power. So therefore our energy starts to decline. And I think a lot of people just blame it on age. I've had 25-year-olds come to my women's health weekends and say, you know, I'm tired, but I'm 25. So it's, you know, kind of to be expected. (laughs) And my response is always, well, hashtag you're joking, because if you're 25 and you're exhausted, (laughs) there is something going on. Because Mm. I think we write way too much off off to age when there are, you know, things that are changing. So when we focus on building or at minimum maintaining, but preferably building our muscle mass, your, your muscle cells can actually undergo a process that's called mitochondrial biogenesis. And what that crazy fancy word means is that inside a muscle cell, you can end up with hundreds of mice on push bikes pedaling to create energy for you. Muscle cells are one of the only cells in the body that can do that. So in other words, when we foster good muscle mass within ourselves, we end up with usually far more mitochondria to generate energy for us. So another great tip for energy, I think, is to really focus on across your whole lifetime maintaining, but preferably building your muscle mass, whether that's through yoga, Pilates, lifting heavy things in a gym, doing gardening or farm work, carrying groceries or children, carrying your luggage instead of wheeling it through airports. There's lots of different ways we can 
foster good muscle mass just in how we live our daily lives rather than avoiding movement and, and doing less of the, the, the heavy lifting, if you like. So I think that's very important. Iron is a nutrient that's incredibly important for energy and women across the menstruation years, 20 to 30% of them, certainly in Australia and New Zealand, are iron deficient. So correcting that can make a big difference to energy. And I also think letting ourselves have what we already have is another really important part of energy because quite often a lot of people spend their days in the pursuit of things, which is beautiful and wonderful and they grow and they contribute as a result of that pursuit. However, sometimes when we pursue things, we miss what's here already and we need to let ourselves have what we already have because I think when you talk to people who are dying and you ask them what they're going to miss the most in the world, they'll tell you the most ordinary things that they're going to miss the feeling of their dog's fur under their fingertips or the smell of an orange that's just been cut or the night sky and we've got all of that right now. So I think letting ourselves have what we already have is a big part of what joy is about. And that gives us an irreplaceable depth of energy. And again, I think it's a big reason, Melissa, why your energy is so great because you're forever growing and pursuing, but you also, you can tell in in the way you communicate, you can tell in what you share on social media, you're very much in touch with these moments that feel like small moments, but they're everything. They make up our whole life and they bring us, I think, immense joy and therefore incredible energy. Mm, Absolutely. I've actually had Bronnie Ware, who is the author of The Top Five Regrets of the Dying on the show, and she was just so amazing. And and it really did hit home for me. You know, we can achieve all of these things, but if you're not enjoying the process, and like you said, you're going to miss the things like the smell of the orange or your dog's fur under your skin, you know, it's so important that we really soak up everything that we already have. I think in the culture that we live in, it's very easy to get caught in the go, 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 do, 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 achieve, 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 tick off my list, tick off my list, tick off my list. But you know, what about stopping and connecting and really being mindful and present with what is unfolding in front of you? I think for me, that has been something that I've been very mindful of over the past couple of years and something that I really want to continue to be mindful of. I agree. And Bronnie has made such an enormous contribution, I think, to the world through her work of helping people to yeah, to, to think of those things along the way and to not get to the end of our lives before we go, oh my goodness, I missed all the small moments, which aren't really the small moments, they're the big moments. And for me, it's noticing light change. I love to see, to notice the difference as the sun comes into the sky and what that does to trees or even the furniture in my house and, and what that does across the day. I, I love to notice light change and it's, it's breathtaking when you're present with it. Mm, absolutely. And we kind of alluded to this before, but another one of the things that I absolutely love about you is that you are very much focused on the inner work. And you believe real beauty comes from within and you are so passionate about helping people not only become healthy, but happier too. And you talk a lot about what I call mastering your inner mean girl. And you talk about letting go of comparison and trusting in your own innate abilities, beliefs, and values. So why is this so important? Not that long ago, I think probably we cared about what maybe five or 10 people thought of us. So you might have cared what your parents thought, your best friend, perhaps there was a school teacher who you thought was really excellent, but it was a handful of people. Whereas now, 
I think for so many people, they care about what thousands of people think of them. And a lot of them are strangers. They've never met them. Mm. And obviously social, social media has a lot of benefits, but I think that's one of its drawbacks. And we don't realize, I think sometimes that when we're scrolling through images, we might just be thinking, oh, that's lovely, or that's pretty, or wow, that's amazing. And we're not necessarily noticing or taking, taking in a, in a conscious way that photos might have been altered in any way or filtered in any way. And we don't, because we're not consciously perhaps aware of that, especially younger people who have grown up with, with filters and, and Photoshop just being part of normal life, we can forget that that's gone on. And so what you start to see, you start to think, well, that's normal or that's how I'm supposed to look. And it may not be attainable in nature. So as we start to filter all the images we see across our days, we start to develop, I think, a picture of how life is supposed to be or what, how we are supposed to be and how we're, what we're supposed to look like. And we inadvertently, knowingly or unknowingly, I think sometimes compare ourselves to that. And I feel like a lot of people these days, again, consciously or unconsciously, feel like they come up short, that their lives don't look like that or their face doesn't look like that. And that breaks my heart because when you live every day with an unconscious belief that you're not okay the way that you are, that you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not tall enough, you're not loud enough, you're not quiet enough, just whatever your not enough thing is, it changes every experience you have, the information you take in in the world, the way you perceive yourself, the way you communicate, every choice you make, you see it through the lens of I'm not good enough. So in the beauty guide, I wanted to bring a big conversation to the surface, which is to begin to address this culture of comparison that we're, that we're living as part of so that we can have a much greater awareness of what we're seeing and allowing that. That's, that's part of life and that's, we're not going to change that. But I think there needs to be a lot more transparency. I think there needs to be a lot, a lot more authentic and honest conversations for women of all ages, but I think particularly for younger women who who may not necessarily consciously know that what they see is not attainable in nature and to help people get back in touch with the light that's inside them rather than thinking that beauty is something that happens on the outside. It's that magical, beautiful, precious light within. Mm, and we all have it. Every single one of us has this beautiful light within us and you know, like you said, social media is amazing, but we can, if we're not self-aware, we can kind of fall into this downward comparisonitis spiral. So we have to have this level of awareness so that we can catch it and be mindful of it and then come back to our truth, which is we have a beautiful abundance of light within us. And this is, you know, why I wrote Mastering Your Mean Girl and something that I'm really passionate about helping women you know, unlock within themselves. So I love that you have done that in the beauty guide. Thank you. I, yeah, I care so much about how people perceive themselves because it, it doesn't just impact them, it impacts everyone they come into contact with. And we're really overdue for a conversation to address, address this comparison culture that's, that's unfolded. It's not okay. <laughs> mm, absolutely. And if, you know, people just realized just how much of a gift they are and how much of a miracle they are just simply being here breathing your heart beating like that is a freaking miracle <laughs> yet we forget you know we completely forget I, I like to say that if we knew who we truly are we'd be in awe of ourselves and yet most people live their lives so out of touch with that and 
I think if we lived more in touch with the miracle that, that we all are, that we probably wouldn't choose half the things that we do. And I think then too, we also wouldn't feel like we needed to fix ourselves or hide our, our, true, our true selves. And yeah, we were born knowing, we were born in touch with, with that preciousness inside and that light inside. And even if we just catch glimpses of it across the day, then I think that's a step in the right direction. Mm, absolutely. So what do you attribute all of your success to? <laughs> I, Melissa, I don't even think about it as success, honestly. I just I think about it that I am so fortunate that I got to have an education and I have been able to work some things out related to the female body that just through observing what works for women and what doesn't. And it's the way I say thanks for the fact that I got life is to is to pass that information on. If it just stops with me, well, it's a bit of a waste. So I feel very grateful that I that I get to write because I love writing. So I love that I get to do that. And I really love being on tour and connecting with people and hearing their stories and, and sharing this latest tour, all information about hormones so that people can make just little small changes if they want to in their own lives and their own choices to live an even better quality of life. So yeah, I just, I do what's in my heart. I don't plan anything. <laughs> well, a little bit, maybe sort of two months, three months ahead because my poor team would fall apart if I didn't do some planning. But I trust myself. I listen to myself. I think our heart is here to guide us and our face kind of shows us where we've been is the way I like to look at it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I listen to my heart and, and feel grateful every day that I get to do what I love. Mm, you can definitely feel that. I'd love to hear now what's one thing that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Playing tennis. <laughs> so I played tennis when I was growing up. It was my sport as a child and I loved it. And then once I finished school, I stopped. Other things took over and became more important. And every year when the Australian Open is televised, I watch it and every year I think, oh, I'm going to go back to coaching. <laughs> and I never do. And this year I did. So from the start of this year, I've, I've been going to tennis coaching twice a week and then having a hit with friends a few other times in the week. <laughs> so it's bringing me immense joy. I feel like a kid every time I walk off the tennis court, even if I haven't played very well, I, I walk off with a grin from ear to ear and it makes me just yeah, touch the clouds with happiness. It's ridiculous. I can't actually believe the impact it's had on my life. So that's my favorite thing that I'm doing right now. That's so beautiful. I did something similar at the start of this year in January. Nick and I started ballroom and Latin dance classes together. And it's something that we have been speaking about for years. And then I just got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to call up a studio and I'm going to book and we're going to go for our first introductory class and we're just going to go from there. And he was all on board. But I grew up dancing from the age of three. I was a dancer. And then when I hit rock bottom in 2010, I stopped dancing. And there was a little part of me that really, really missed it. And although I don't do it to compete like I used to, it's just the similar thing to you with your tennis. It has brought back so much joy and play. And every lesson, Nick and I walk out with beaming smiles on our face and we just have so much fun together. So if there's something in your life right now that you want to get back into, anyone listening, please do it. Whether it's painting or singing or pottery or whatever it is, I highly recommend doing it. So Dr. Libby, I would love to hear now, I you alluded to it before, 
you know, I am always achieving and going and like you, what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? My latest thing that I'm thinking about and and spending a lot more time on and to answer your question is I want to spend more time researching this is to to understand far more broadly about ev- the evolution of not just humans but the whole universe. I'm very fascinated by essentially by the whole evolutionary process. So because my what I do in my day-to-day life takes up most of my space, I want to actually dedicate a lot more time to to researching that. I re- I research my my areas nutrition, biochemistry, emotion, psychology, human behavior, but I don't often extend my research beyond that and to yeah, understanding a lot more about the evolution of, of the universe and, and the place of humans inside that, of course, is something that I am have become very interested in this year. So that's, that's where my research focus is going to go. And I've done a little bit of reading so far, but we, we make time, I think, for what we prioritize. And sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking, oh, I don't have you know, we hear it in our own language patterns, in the language patterns of other people. I don't have time for that. But when we say that, what we're really saying is that's just not a priority for me right now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when we change our priorities, it can help us to do more of what we want to do or to to create the space to do something new. Yeah. And for me, that's, it's research in a bit of a different area. Mm, awesome. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your 12 books, let's pretend that they're already in the curriculum. What is one book that you would choose? Red Hot and Holy by Sarah Beat. It is a book about helping us all to live more in touch with our soul. And she writes beautifully. I love the way she carves language and creates beautiful prose, but the the message within her work is very impactful. And I think particularly for for women of all ages, it, it helps us to get back in touch with what is deep within us and that guiding force, that voice that is always there, the voice that has our back, that knows exactly what we need to eat, the voice that knows when it's time for bed, the voice that knows it's our guiding light. And I feel like so many of us live out of touch with that and her work really helps us to get back in touch with that and to be able to hear the voice of of our of our own soul so that would be my choice Melissa Oh that sounds amazing I haven't read that but we'll link to it in the show notes along with all of your books so everyone can go and check those out Now let's talk about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine I know no two days are probably ever the same for you but I love hearing about how people set themselves up and prime themselves for the day. So can you share a day in your life with us and in, in focusing in particular on your morning routine? With pleasure. So I get up usually pretty early. So sometimes I need to set an alarm if I've got a really early interview. So if I've got to be on the phone at 5.30, I don't risk not setting an alarm. But my preference is to not set an alarm. And normally I will naturally winter in Australia and New Zealand at the moment. So normally in winter, I'd wake up at about six and I get up and I go out. I usually go outside and do whatever I want. So sometimes that might be going for a walk. It might be a meditation. It might be Tai Chi or Qigong. Other times I will make a hot drink and go and sit on, I've got a couch outside my house and I'll go and sit on that and look at my surroundings. The birds are pretty chirpy in the morning and I love watching what they're doing. So I, d- I don't plan it, but I have that time to myself first thing in the morning to do whatever I feel p- 
pulled to do. Whatever's going to nourish my soul uh, is always how I start. Then usually I will get into emails. So even when I'm writing a book, I would always do an hour of emails first thing in the morning. And if I'm not writing a book, I'll spend more time doing that. Then the day might include, there's nearly always some kind of interview on the phone or via Skype, some kind of writing, whether that's writing blog posts, articles for newspapers or magazines, or if I'm writing a new book, there's nearly always some writing involved. Sometimes it's a meeting with my team. I've created a plant-based supplement company called BioBlend. So sometimes it's working with the suppliers of the food and the herbs with that. So it's it is highly varied, but that morning routine never changes. I do travel a lot. So I book accommodation when I travel based on where I want to eat. Nutrition is that important to me. And I love to be able to walk from wherever I'm staying to a place that I've found that, that I'm where I'm going to love the food. But if I'm at home, I love cooking. It's really important to me to, to cook dinner each night when I'm home. And at the moment, I'm, I've got a gorgeous butcher not far from where I live. And he knows the farm and the farmer where the food comes from. And my favorite at the moment is beautiful grass-fed lamb shanks that I cook for half a day with lots and lots of vegetables and serve with mashed potatoes and broccoli and beans. I'm loving that right now. So there's always there's always a focus on nourishment and the middle of the day is always filled with work, but that morning ritual is something that I don't compromise. It sets me up to have a real sense of spaciousness across my day, no matter what I've got to pull off. Yeah, beautiful. And then do you have like a wind down nighttime or evening routine? It's not said again. I'm very, I used to be someone that lived to rigid kind of structures and I let all of that go quite a long time ago now. So I'm just guided by whatever I feel like I'm best going, what's best going to serve me. And that's usually reading, but whether it's reading for pleasure or reading to learn, occasionally it's watching something, but there's always by the time I've cooked dinner, I'm sl- I've slowed. The cooking dinner process usually sl- slows me down and then afterwards it's yeah typically reading or might be a gentle conversation with someone I love. Mm, beautiful. What are three things you're most recently grateful for right now? I have a new staircase in my house, which probably sounds crazy. <laughs> I wasn't planning to rip out my old stairs and put in a new set of stairs, but it, it's I love libraries. I love books. I own more books than clothes that own more books than anything else in the world and if I ever take a screenshot of anything I love on Instagram it's those floor-to-ceiling libraries that have got a ladder on wheels that you roll along Mm, and yeah so I had a really clever builder rip out staircase in my house and he's built me a ladder basically so I can it's a work in progress but it's I will eventually have a floor-to-ceiling library when that little project's finished so that's new and I'm loving that other most recent things that I'm grateful for is I was actually able to go back to my hometown last week where I grew up and connect with my dearest girlfriend. And it's a challenging time in her beautiful, precious life. And the fact that I have a lifestyle and a team of people who I work alongside that I could take three days out of my week and not deal with emails and not be on my phone and yeah, love her and, and hold her hand. That was brings tears to my eyes and goosebumps all over me even talking about it the fact that I could go and be with her was um and see my parents was was really really special I was incredibly grateful for that and I have two little willy wagtail birds that live at my house they've only just moved in and they're currently building a nest so I'm very grateful they've moved in because I'm anticipating that there's going to be babies coming out of that nest as springtime rolls around so 
they're two of the little birds that I watch each morning if I go outside <laughs> and what and, and sit on my so couch. Cute. So cute. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Okay, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Become breath aware. As we talked about in in this session, if you change the way you predominantly breathe to be diaphragmatic, long, slow exhalation, it has a huge ripple effect through your chemistry when you do that on a daily basis. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of your life. Think about what you have to contribute that's going to make a difference in the lives of others. So what is it? What's what's the message that your heart has? When you open your heart, what do you want to share? And sh- if, as you begin to share that with others, because you'll be contributing to their life, I think that leads to a, a feeling of fulfillment and abundance. And if it's something that you sell, obviously there'll be a financial benefit to that as well. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Look at where we can contribute more love because when we open our heart and share it with others, when you when you help others to see the love that they are, I think it lights us up in that process. So yeah, to, to, to be in touch with Sounds really, really cliche, doesn't it? But to be in touch with the love that others are and and the love that's inside you, I think that brings us more love than than anything. Mm, Totally agree. Now, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any parting words of wisdom or anything else that you want to talk about that I may have not asked you about? As far as women's health goes, I feel like we're right on a, a point in history, I think, where there's there's a lot of changes that are possible now. And I really hope that we can foster a world where women are so strong that they can be gentle in that strength and that they're so educated that they can be humble, but also share the things that they know and they share the things that are in their heart. And I feel like we need to have a fierceness to us and yet deliver that fierceness with such compassion so that others can hear it. And I also think that when we we think about discipline as a concept, it often sounds restrictive, but sometimes when we're so disciplined in in the way that we care for ourselves or the standards we have for ourselves, it fosters a great freedom for us and and the women that we communicate with, So, or, or everyone that we communicate with. So I really care about how women see themselves, because if we can create a a world where women know their true value, it's going to change the lives of, of everything, our, the families that they raise, the communities that we're all part of. And that really begins with our physical health because if our physical health is not where we want it to be, if our energy is lousy, for example, it, it has a significant impact on not only our ability to look after ourselves but the way we connect to everyone. So it's why in my work, everything starts with addressing the physical symptoms that people are experiencing. We usually can't do that until nutrition is addressed, which is that second pillar. And then quite often we have to address the beliefs that drive the behaviors of people, which is that emotional pillar so that we can then effortlessly make changes so that we don't feel like we're always fighting an uphill battle. And that might sound like a great big long list, but it's not if we just start to recognize our own worth and our our own value and to to live every day in touch with how precious life is and how precious we are it can then help to begin help us to begin to treat ourselves accordingly and i sincerely hope that that my work does that that's that's why i do what i do 
Mm, You absolutely do a brilliant job at it. And if we want to raise the next generation of self-aware, conscious children that are overflowing with self-worth and self-love, it starts with us. It starts with us. We've got to make those shifts within us. And that's where it all begins. And your work definitely supports people with going on that journey. And one of the things that I am such a big believer in, like you are too, is being of service and helping others. So what can I do personally and what can the listeners do to serve you today? How can we serve you? Oh, that's a gorgeous question. I don't know. If, the quick answer off the top of my head, people don't need to do anything. I think it's just, yeah, listen listening to their own soul and tr- and trusting themselves more i feel probably that we've we've stopped trusting ourselves a lot of people are forever searching outside themselves for information and of course we need experts you know if you need legal advice you see a lawyer but often when there are things that we inherently know inside of ourselves but we've stopped trusting ourselves with with a lot of everyday things so people don't need to do it to serve me in any way but i think the, that they'll be happier and healthier if they listen to the voice of their own soul and, and really start to trust themselves again. I feel like women especially have really lost trust in themselves and I hope that that changes. Mm, absolutely, me too. Well, if they get your books and dive into your work, this is definitely a step in the right direction. So I just wanted to thank you so much for not only the work that you do in the world, but for just the person that you are, who you are, you radiate at such a high frequency and you're so loving and generous. And when you're in your presence, you just feel held and you're very present and you're loving. And every time I see you, I just walk away from our interactions and our catch ups so lit up. And I just adore you and I want to thank you so much for all the work that you do in the world. Melissa, thank you. I'm very moved. (laughs) We can't see each other, but I have eyes full of water right now. So thank you so much. That's really touched my heart. Thank you so much for what you do too. It's, It's really special. You help people get their messages out there. You have such an important message to share yourself. So thank you for fostering all of that. Isn't she an angel? Not only a wealth of knowledge, inspiration, and wisdom, but such a beautiful human being. I adore Libby so much. And if you ever get the chance to see her speak live, do yourself a favor and go. You won't be disappointed. She's one of the best inspirational speakers I have ever seen. And I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please share it with your friends. Please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who else you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 141. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And another thing I wanted to mention before we go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head on over to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. 
And whilst you're there, you will also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that review. It means the world to me to hear your thoughts every week. So please head on over there. And before I go, I just wanted to thank you so much for being here every week, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.